You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. ABC Tonight. Special Agent Will Trent. Judge Bureau Investigation. I told him I'd bring my best. Will sees things that no one else does. Based on the New York Times bestselling series. But why Will Trent? He's good police and he's objectively hot. See crime. Put out an Amber Alert. There's a kidnapping. Through his eyes. He read that crime scene like it was a book. Ramon Rodriguez is. I'm a pretty observant guy. Will Trent. Series premiere tonight, tonight central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by California Almonds. Almonds are a great addition to any wellness routine. They're the perfect on-the-go snack, and only a handful of almonds is all you need to get the benefits. Like 50% of your recommended daily value of vitamin E, a powerful antioxidant that helps protect and keep your skin healthy. So no matter what wellness looks like to you, yoga, massages, listening to your favorite podcast, almonds are easy to bring along. Eat almonds, live well, repeat. Hey there, and welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Okay, fellas, when was the last time you watched The Truman Show? This morning. Quiet, you. It's been it's been quite a while for me. I think last time I watched it was, man, right after I got out of high school. It was like 30 years ago. So early, early 2000s? So... It came out in 98 mm-hmm. and there were just so many things I had forgotten about it. And I was telling Spencer, I don't even remember if I've watched it completely from beginning to end before. I think I've just caught chunks mm. of it. I remember going to see it in the movie theater. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, all of this is a preamble to the theory that I have brought to the episode today that is Jim Carrey plays the same character in The Truman Show and Sonic the Hedgehog from 2020. Ooh. This is from Travis underscore Blake. And this is only for the movies and in no relation to the games. And I think this is only for... The Truman Show and the first Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't think, yeah, there's nothing in here that's specifically about the second movie, so, uh, the second Sonic movie. So okay. we will go with that. Once Truman Burbank escaped his cave, he began his journey to explore and understand the world around him. With such a recognizable face, people were happy to help him in his academic adventure in exchange for research, inside, etc., related to the show. With the recognition, he grows a mustache and changes his name to have something for himself. Robotnik to refer to the robotic actions of his previous life and how he found himself. After the 90s and 2000s, Truman's mistrust of people increases as privacy decreases while technology increases. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want to be the target again, so he sets himself up to be the observer. Robotnik Mm. has a large ego as if he is the main character, something that carried over from the reveal of the show. Having been lied to hurt him, causing him to isolate and grow more upset with the world. Stone is the only person he trusts, just like Lauren. Which, um, in case you don't remember a Lauren, that's because Lauren was the character name for the actress Sylvia in The Truman Show, which is the woman that, like, broke through to him and was like truman it's all about you this isn't real it's none of it's real and yes her her real name was sylvia but they'd given her the character name of lauren in the show 
Who is Stone? Stone is Agent Stone, which is the man who makes the isn't it lattes for for Robotnik? Ah, yep. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I love how you make them. He just screams <laughs> in his face, and he yeah. busts him when he was doing his crazy little dance inside the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Stone. So that's it's his little crony. As I was saying before about. Having been so long since I've watched the Truman Show, our cute little doggo, Ace, got me up at 5.30 this morning to go use the bathroom. Thank goodness he got Mm. me up. Well, he got me up and then I got you up. Yeah, because it was my turn. (laughs) So (laughs) I couldn't go back to sleep. So I figured, why don't I watch the Truman Show since we're going to be talking about it tonight. And uh, so that was good. I got to watch through all of it. And you know... Just a really quick sidebar that's not related to the theory, but more to the the movie of the Truman Show. I, it's so interesting what had to go into this the writing of this script because not only is it all about Truman and then the director played by Ed Harris, which mm-hmm. did you know? It was so funny seeing this. His little assistant director guy is Paul Giamatti. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, that was really I fun. I didn't remember turned- that. That's fun. Yeah, he popped it. He had a lot more hair. and ah. <laughs> He's in it and Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Scully from Brooklyn oh, Nine-Nine really? is in the show. Oh. Yeah, he's a security guard that is a fan of the show. That's what I was getting to is that not only is it the, the everybody working on making the show, you have a lot of interaction of all of the fans of the show watching and their perspective. Yeah. It's just really interesting. So I would love to maybe have more conversation about that another time. Maybe we'll make that a Patreon exclusive. It, yeah. it really is a great movie. You know, in hindsight, I just, I appreciate it more now as a grown-up than I did in 1998. But just, and especially Jim Carrey's performance is not just a complete lunatic in that movie. God, so good. Yeah. And you can just, just, you really, I felt for the guy as far as like what it must be like to determine or to discover that your entire life has been false or fabricated. And he conveys that really well on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was great. So now back to the theory about Truman Burbank growing into, morphing into Dr. Robotnik. Mm -hmm. What do we we think (laughs) of this? Because honestly, you know, what Spencer just said about him not being a total crazy, he does have little outbursts in the Truman show. Which, mm-hmm. as Robotnik, he does that a lot. He does all of his crazy, weird, yeah. and just does, and all of his serial, his his Jim Carrey, basically, <laughs> yes. shtick. But he does have moments in the Truman Show where that busts out too. So it's not like it's a totally uncharacteristic, out of left field thing. We do see it in both movies. Mm-hmm. And I like how Op brought up his mistrust of people as privacy decreases with technology. That's a actually a really great point. Because in the Truman Show, like, he finds out that all this stuff is fabricated and he is just there for show. And so it would make sense, the next logical step in his mind, that as Big Brother, quote unquote, starts kind of developing with all of the increase in in technology and spyware and things like that, and cameras are everywhere and easily accessible, like, I can see how he would take that leap from from there to complete mistrust of everything and like eventually become this character of Robotnik. And so it kind of makes sense to me. 
my thoughts are, I'm not going to give my full rating at this point, but my initial observation of this theory is that there's not much evidence backing it up. <laughs> so we can discuss, uh, I know you've got a comment you want to read. Yes, so we have a comment here from Silver underscore Punk. It would also make sense he only trusts robots, parentheses cameras, since they basically raised him. Ooh, yeah, that is a good point. But I, I, I don't know about that because the cameras mm. didn't raise him. They there were, were people behind he the never cameras. Saw them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. He never saw them, and even though they were there, it's not like the the sentient cameras were, you know, oh, oh, we're your friend Truman. We want the best for you. They were cameras were controlled by people, the people who made the show, <laughs> who did the whole thing to begin with. So it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he becomes robotic and builds all these robots so that he can like guarantee that he knows that he's the one in control of all of them. Exactly. That's what I was thinking yeah. of, especially yeah. the scene toward the end when he is on the sailboat and he is sailing mm -hmm. out and they're causing the big storm. Yeah. And Honestly, I think like some higher ups from the network that the Truman Show broadcasts on, they're in there yelling at Ed Harris of stop, you stop it. That's enough. You're going to kill him on live television. And he says, increase the wind. And Paul Giamatti won't do it. And he reaches over and manually with his own finger increases the wind. And it looks like it drowned Truman. And the fact that he knows that they will go that far. These people who are the only people who have known him all his life, the ones that are in the control booth, because I think he's come to that realization now of this is who has been controlling every aspect of my life. I've never yes. had any kind of independence, independent thought even, that they would go that far to stop him, to almost killing him. I think that could be the catalyst that drives him to now I'm going to be the man in the control room. Yep. Yep, because to him, the people in the control room were essentially God for him up until that point. Like, he assumed that the acts that they were creating were acts of God. And so, in his mind, he's like, well, I'm going to be the I'm gonna be the one with the power now. Like, exactly. I want the power, so I'm going to create these robots and take over the world. Right, so that's why I'm, I'm going to use that to say not so much Silverpunk about the trusting yeah. the robots. Yeah. But his main objective... Other than like getting out and experiencing life for what it is, was to he wanted to be an explorer. He wanted to explore everywhere, and he also wanted to go catch up mm -hmm. with Sylvia, mm -hmm. who is the character who plays the character Lauren in the show. Mm -hmm. And in the Sonic movies, I mean, obviously we are we are if we are to look at the gap in time, that's a twenty-two or yeah yeah twenty-two year gap in time. Mm -hmm. So a lot can happen between that time period. But where is she? We get no indication that he's done any kind of exploring or anything. He at least knows about Sonic's power. And he mm -hmm. wants those rings. I wonder if he wants to explore more. He wants to yeah. go where Sonic can go, well, which is pretty he, much interdimensional. He go, yeah, he does go through the ring and, and ends up wherever the Mushroom Kingdom or whatever that place is. <laughs> which, oh my gosh, that was such a letdown. <laughs> I really wanted Toad or Toadette to pop up 
in that scene when he's in the Mushroom Kingdom, since I kept saying about the Mushroom Kingdom, or, or a Goomba, something, give me something. Yeah. But yeah, there's, I, I, I don't know, just anyway, anybody else? <laughs> well, for me, the, I'm, I'm all ready to rate this, but well, go ahead. For me, the last thing I'll say is for me, the Sylvia thing doesn't bother me as much because honestly, what's to say that she didn't just reject him in the real world, you know? Because she was putting on an act and he genuinely had feelings for her and she was acting like no, no, she didn't she actually... had feelings for him, too. Right. That's why so, she wanted to break him out of it all. Right. So that's something I thought she was it, just it, being a nice person. It's just been a while since it, I've seen the movie. Right. So, Michael, there's a point when they reach they've reached the 30 year mark with this particular point of the show that we're watching the Truman show it's been on the mm -hmm. air for 30 years and so it's right. a big milestone and they're interviewing Kristoff which is Ed Harris's character the director yeah. not to be confused with another evil Kristoff who <laughs> wants to kill Anna and um, he is accepting callers to phone in and speak to him and Sylvia is one of them and she just starts berating oh, him okay. how dare you how can you do this and just lights into him and you can see all in her apartment there's all this propaganda of like a free truman rally and things like that and at the same gotcha. time truman when he would go to buy his newspaper every morning before he went into work he would always get a women's fashion magazine and he would say it was for his wife meryl who's mm -hmm. played by laura linney and Wow, what an amazing cast this whole movie is. But what he's really doing is he's trying to, from his memory and from bits and pieces of models in those fashion magazines, he's trying to reconstruct and make a portrait of Sylvia. And okay. at one yeah. point, he pulls it out. Oh, it's when he's up there. I think it's when he's going up, the, up those steps that are painted like mm -hmm. the sky. And he pulls that portrait out and the cameras above him zoom in and see that. And she sees it on the TV and she just, she gets all weepy, teary eyed. Oh, he loved me. And gotcha. then as soon as he walks out the door, she grabs her coat and you see her bolting down the stairs of her apartment building. And that's it. That's all you see. Okay. So we assume. Well, I, just, I just need to watch this movie again. It's been 15 plus years since I've seen it. Well, that's um, why I watched it, so I can recap yeah, it for you. Yeah, but so debunking what I just said, maybe another angle to explain it is maybe he did meet up with, with Sylvia and they had a thing, but something happened to her. There was an accident and she passed away, or maybe she had cancer or some sort of medical issue that caused her to pass away. That could be an explanation for why she's not in the picture anymore, and he doesn't say anything about it because it's too painful for him to talk about. True. True. I have a question for everybody. Yes. Just curious. How old do you think James Marsden is? Uh, As a reminder to everyone listening, James Marsden is one of the main characters in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Although he does not contribute to the plot at all. Sure he does. His good looks. <laughs> 46. Yeah, I would say he's mid-40s. James Marsden was born in 73. Okay. So let's just say he is his age that he is in real life in Sonic the Hedgehog, which means he was of viewing age when the Truman Show was on the air. If we look at 98, he would have been, you know, 20-something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 73, 83. Yeah, he would have been in his 20s. Would he have remembered Truman? 
And he grew a mustache and changed his name so that he wouldn't be so recognizable. No, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and shaved his head. Actually, he didn't shave, shave his, his head, head until, until the end of the, the first, first movie. movie. Oh, when that's he's right. in the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, you're right. And you're that's right. when he gets the crazy mustache. His yep. mustache is really teensy, tiny, <laughs> modern aesthetic. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we're to believe that people don't recognize Clark Kent and Superman. We can believe that he doesn't recognize Truman. No, this is different. Do you want to say something about that, Spencer? <laughs> what am I? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually a, but no, no, he he isn't shaved. And what does his mustache look like? Like you said, it was short, right? It's not. I think it was pretty. That's okay. Oh, he's got like a handlebar mustache, or it's like, or it's like curls the ends, trolled on the ends. Okay. So it's relatively small compared to the original. Still, he still looks like Truman from the Truman Show to me. <laughs> I. I think it's just that you're seeing Jim Carrey and you know that Jim Carrey looks like Jim Carrey. He also looks like Truman. There are some people that I knew at a younger age that I see now. And if I didn't know who they were, I honestly wouldn't recognize who they were because they've changed so much. They've aged so much. So I think also Dr. Robotnik's hair is black in the first Sonic movie and Truman's hair was brown. Yeah. Well, it's a dark brown. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I think we are ready to rate this. But before we do, Michael, could you go over our rating scale real quick? Absolutely. The highest rating that we have is Genius. This is reserved for only the best theories, which we believe are better than the actual canon. The next step down is plausible. It's a good theory. It's believable. Unlikely is next. It's not a terrible theory, but pretty unlikely, as the name suggests. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. Thanks so much, Michael. All right. So who wants to start this off? Me. I feel like Spencer is chomping at the <laughs> bit. I knew it. Okay. Hit it. Okay. Um, I won't go as far to say that this is preposterous, but it is very highly unlikely. The whole, oh, well, you wouldn't recognize him because he has a mustache and he has a different name. If James Marsden started watching The Truman Show when he was 10, but still, that's still over 10 years of nonstop, no commercial break, 24-7, that anybody could be watching The Truman Show. You're not going to forget that face, no matter how big a mustache is. (laughs) So that's my biggest point. Everybody would know that this is, why why is Truman? Why, why, Why Truman loses his nuts and bolts in his head or whatever the phrase is he's just what why is he terrorizing a poor blue hedgehog and that kind of stuff you know oh you know like that you have kind of a screw loose or something okay but what if his no name and identity change was actually a public thing that was very like that was like picked up in the magazines and stuff kind of like when some celebrities decide that they want to be something else and they change and completely change their name and ev- and look and everything, and people. I mean, everybody know. respects no. that. Yeah, no. And so nobody nobody no, says anything and brings it up. Because James Marsden would have been like, he saw it. Look, this guy that's trying to kill you. He used to be the star <laughs> of this show. He was a nice guy. Everyone loved him. And 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 now, so he's just a a diabolical villain. And now he's so real messed happened. up, and nobody blames him because his life sucks. Yep. And Sonic didn't do that, so. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And there's no evidence. <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and go next. I'm going to say that, I'm going to say this is plausible for me. The, 
the theory itself does make sense. Uh, the things, the facts that were given out and just filling in the gaps in between. What facts? <laughs> the, the thing where, like the, the points that were made where he they talk about how his mistrust of people increases as privacy decreases and, and all of that stuff. Honestly, that, that point right there is enough for me to make this plausible because if I found out in my 30s that my life has been a lie this whole time and just been a show that people have been watching me and nothing that I have experienced is real life and there have been cameras on me my whole life, then I would seriously have mistrust of any camera, any kind of anything like that. So I, I would probably go off the deep end and become an evil genius as well. So for me, it's plausible. Okay. I'm going to... It's hard. I feel like I'm teetering back and forth between plausible and unlikely on this. Mm-hmm. Just, um, guys, this is hard. It's not. It's really not. Because I agree. I like, and as an actor, I just have to, you know, you have to, you have to suspend, or that's not the right term. You have to be able to, to believe in that and read into subtext and and we have to create backstories and stuff and like we yeah. have to use our imagination to create these things and I can definitely see the roots of where this fan theory came from of that there is some relation to these two characters and it's not just the fact that they're both played by the same actor it's that it is a I think a reasonable idea to think that the effects of Truman show caused the aftermath which is robotnik but i can also see what spencer's saying of there is no evidence here but i have gone on less than i've gone on just as much evidence as this and said plausible (laughs) so i think i'm gonna go plausible and dip my toe into the unlikely but i'm i'm saying this is plausible and it's gonna get bit (laughs) off by piranhas and sharks you're gonna get bit off by a bitter angry spencer (laughs) speaking of biting things off I, um, just today, actually, I was looking at our audience <laughs> data and noticed that the country with the second largest number of listeners is Canada. They love us in Canada. If that's the case, why is our average rating there only a 3.4? And why do we have only one review written in French that roughly translates to he's on the way for others? Spencer, what did you do? Did you insult Canada again? I did not. At least I don't don't think so. Not on purpose. Hey, Canada, I want to sincerely apologize on behalf of Spencer. There's absolutely no excuse for his behavior. What behavior? I didn't even... Please forgive him and help us get that average up by rating us five stars. Please, please, please. Also, a review that makes sense and isn't borderline creepy would probably be helpful as well. Thank you. The theory that I've brought to the table tonight is from a very controversial show, depending on who you ask, How I Met Your Mother. Wait, I, I needed to know why this is controversial. Why is this show controversial? Oh, oh, because of like how it ended? Yeah, because it was a fantastic show and until the very last season, and they basically <laughs> undid all of the character arcs and progress that were made by these characters throughout the show in one season and completely just threw it all in the trash. Yes. Specifically Barney Stinson. <laughs> he made so much uh. progress as a human being and became was on the verge of becoming a good person. 
and then yeah. they just throw it all away. But You're anyway, like, nah, I digress. everybody liked the old Barney better, so we're gonna make it <laughs> that again. The purple dinosaur. <laughs> yes, that Barney. All right. So the theory from How I Met Your Mother is that the Love Solutions dating agency's algorithm was correct, and there really were only eight women for Ted in New York. And this comes from user Solaire of Astora eighteen. Just so you know, I looked up on YouTube. There are tons of videos that compil that are compilations of every woman that Ted dated, mm -hmm. <laughs> just so that I could have a refresher on this. So I, yeah. I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm yeah. ready for this. It's a lot. I did not watch the show, just so everyone knows. Yeah, I don't know if I should say I'm I'm sorry or or congratulations. You can just say, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the theory states in the season one episode matchmaker, Helen Pierce of the dating agency Love Solutions attempts to convince Ted to use her services because of a highly sophisticated algorithm that she's designed that guarantees a successful matchup. When filtering for only the highest levels of compatibility, Helen convinces Ted to believe that, quote, out of all the fish in the sea, there really are only eight women in the entire city for Ted, or for which Ted could be a good match. Throughout the entire show, Ted dates many women, but very rarely do they ever get past a level of casual fun. Up until the point Ted finally meets Tracy, who is the real mother. Spoiler. Yeah. Sorry, Spencer. Uh, he uh, he really only another spoiler. She dies. Yeah. Oh, that was another no. thing. That was another thing that was stupid about the final season. But I anyway, hated that uh, up until the point he finally met Tracy. He really only encountered eight women who were on a level of compatibility that had, quote, the one potential. The first was introduced in the matchmaker episode, who the algorithm said was a nine point five compatibility. Unfortunately for Ted. The woman was already matched with and set to marry another man of a lower but still promising compatibility level. Woman number two was Victoria, who I personally liked, Michael personally liked, who Ted meets in season one at his friend Stuart's wedding. Their relationship is extremely strong and has a good run until she is faced with the decision of moving to Germany. Their relationship becomes strained after she moves away and they break up. Woman number three is briefly mentioned in another episode where Ted receives a call from Love Solutions. Ted is told that this woman returned an extremely promising matchup quotient and eventually decides to arrange a date. Before Ted can actually meet her, however, he bails on the date and begins chasing girl number four, Robin. Fans of the show will understand where Robin's place in, is in Ted's saga, so I will not dwell on this one. After a long relationship with Robin, they eventually split up because they believed they had misaligned interests. When Ted is out with another woman, he gets a tramp stamp and needs to have it removed. The doctor's office where Ted arranges to have the tattoo removed is where he meets woman number five, Stella, a.k.a. Dr. Reed from Scrubs. Right. <laughs> uh, Stella and Ted have an extremely strong relationship that goes far enough for Ted to actually begin moving in with Stella and her daughter. The two are even engaged to be married until Stella, at the last minute, leaves Ted at the altar for her ex-boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Ted eventually meets another potential candidate in woman number six, Zoe. The two have a rocky relationship where they are constantly competing with one another, but it is clear that they do love each other on some fundamental level. However, they break up after Ted eventually defeats Zoe in her dreams of making the Arcadian a landmark. 
Zoe is played by, uh, oh, what's her face from Once Upon a Time? Yeah. Or uh, uh, she was also, I think, six on House. Yes, that's correct. I, I can't remember the Am actress's name. Her? Jennifer Aniston? N- no. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Okay. Courtney Cox. I can do this. Lisa Kudrow. I'm almost there. To the IMDb. Bernadette Peters. Jennifer Morrison. Ah, so close. That's right. I had Morrison in my head, but I didn't want to say it and sound stupid if I was wrong. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Okay. Back to the theory. So, Sorry, she wasn't six on House. She was Cameron. She was Dr. Cameron. That's right. Yeah. House is another show I haven't seen in a while, but good show. Okay. All right. So woman number seven is Jeanette. It is arguable that Jeanette was never really compatible with Ted, but for whatever reason, he becomes infatuated with her, and she becomes a significant part of his life for a longer time than most other women he casually dates. Woman number eight is, of course, the mother, Tracy, who requires no explanation. Unless you haven't seen the show. So when it's all said and done, there really only were eight women in that big old sea for Ted Mosby, and Helen Pierce was right the whole time. So that's the theory. Before we really get into it, I, whenever I watched the show, which again, it's been a while since I've seen this, I was under the impression that woman number three was actually Tracy and that Ted missed out on spending, like meeting her sooner than he actually could have because he bailed on the date. So I don't know if that's just something I made up in my head as my own headcanon or or what, but for some reason, this whole time I've thought that she was number three. I think Um, you might be right. Cause I feel like that was a major thing about like they show there were so many times they could have met up. Yeah. They were so close. They they just missed each other so many times. And, and yeah, and that was one of the times I was pretty sure that they just missed each other because she was number three. Cause she also signed up for love solutions, which I'll say that's something I do appreciate about this show is in the writing, how they, yes, Whew, oh. They had like the best show Bible of any yep. TV show, I think, of how they were able to, in season four, call back something from mm-hmm. season one, episode three or whatever. I mean, it was that re- and that cohesive because that's what you do in real life. I yeah. mean, yeah, you you bring you remember something, you run into somebody that you saw three years ago or whatever. And sometimes they get right back into your life the way they were before. And they kept doing that with the show. It was really good. But Spencer, that was a huge thing of when we find out who the real mother is of these kids that, rest in peace, Bob Saget was telling the story to. It's a whole thing of from season one to now. They were constantly in the same vicinity. They Mm -hmm. just barely missed each other. And it was just one yeah. chance meeting years later. Do you remember when you graduated college? I thought I'd never see you again. And then you showed up in my life again later. Kind of like how I met your mother. Yes. Maybe I should tell that to our children. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't sound like Bob Saget. Yeah, they they. that's a great point. They were really good with their long-term continuity on that show and that's one of the things that i genuinely appreciate about the show so spencer i would say honestly like just watch the show up until the last like two or three episodes of the last season and it'll be one of the best shows you've ever seen i'm more of a hillary duff fan so i'll watch how i met your mother how i met your father (laughs) i'm more of a hillary duff fan so i'll just watch how i met your father instead 
anyway, back to the actual theory. I I would just say that I, even though I feel like they're one number off, I, I genuinely think that number three was supposed to be Tracy and not number eight. I like the general idea behind this theory that the Love Solutions algorithm was true and accurate because even if it's one number off, that's still pretty dang close. Is there another person that could fill that gap that he dated? It's possible. I mean, there were there were like three levels of types of women that he dated throughout the show. There were very surface level, like one, you only see them one time. You probably don't even get a name from them. Sometimes he even admits that he doesn't remember their name. He just calls them blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, oh, just call me blah. Yeah. And so there's those. And then there are some that have maybe like a three episode arc on the show that have a little bit more significance. Like uh, Trudy, played by, oh, what's her name? Laura, do you that's, remember her name? Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's the um, other thing. The cast of all of these girls that he dates. Angela Lansbury. Yeah, is they're so good. I mean, yeah. it's really good. I'm, at one point, one of the girls he dates is like Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. I'm looking through this cast on IMDb to try to find Trudy. Was it the girl from The Wonder Years? Oh, it, it, so she's the one that he supposedly has a, a threesome with, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Yep, it is It is the girl, uh, what was her name? I don't remember the actress's name, but... Denica McKellar. That's yes, right, that's Denica. Right. Anyway, so there's that level, and then there are the, the actual serious ones where he has a relationship for a significant amount of time with these women in the show, and those are the ones that are listed on this theory. So for me, mm-hmm. like, it's it's... At surface level, it kind of makes sense. Like, I want to get through some of these comments after I hear from you guys to see if there's anything that changes my mind on this. And I want to see what you guys have to say, too. So I watched this show. Goodness. So that must have been 2017 that I watched it. Hmm. And um, so it's been a while for me, too. And I just did one time through. That was it. That's why I'm not as I can't as readily remember all these names and all these women. But. Watching that YouTube video I watched today that recapped all of the women he dated, I was like, I forgot <laughs> how many incredible. I mean, at one point Katie Holmes comes up and he yeah. dates her for a little she bit. She was the and, wasn't she the pumpkin? Yep, uh, the slutty, slutty pumpkin. pumpkin. Yep. Uh, Rachel Bilson is one of them. Mm-hmm. She was actually the, the roommate who, of of Tracy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really interesting. But Spencer, he only just heard. He was in the game room messing around with board games while I was uh, watching this. So he only mm-hmm. kind of heard bits and pieces of the show. Gotcha. So I don't know how much you can contribute to this. Yeah, I heard a very loud laugh track laughing at things that weren't funny. Yeah, we don't watch a lot of three camera comedies in our house. Oh. And yeah, that's we. it's just not a, a major interest to us. It's not mm. really my style. I think especially, I think just once we started watching things like The Office, we just kind of, we lost our taste for the old style three camera comedy. So things like gotcha. Big Bang Theory and and Friends, all that, we don't really watch that. Yeah, Friends, not my thing. One of my favorite videos is um, a <laughs> YouTube video saying. where they did a scene from Big Bang Theory and they removed the laugh track. Yep. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing. Because everything they say is not funny and just awkward. Well, and they hold for the laugh. How about, yeah, how about the comments? Maybe that'll help. Yeah. Give me context about what's happening. Cool. So the first comment comes from user miscellaneous name. They say, was it known if Love Solutions results were based on proximity? 
because if not, the fact that they were, that there were only eight women for Ted in all of New York City and he meets all of them is insane. And then there's a response to that comment from Andy GHK that says, or it's a testament to how accurate the algorithm actually is. They're so compatible that eventually you have no choice but to meet them because they will eventually go to the same place as you do. Which I think that I think that would a be a point. basis... That would be a basis for compatibility is yeah. your proximity. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the next comment is from Pooty Our Cheeks in a Beak. No. Put your cheeks in a beak. Oh, your cheeks in a beak. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Yep. Put your yep. Cheeks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm going to own it. Pooty Our oh, yeah. Cheeks in a Beak. I- I'm yeah, we're not cutting that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this person says I vote skip Jeanette, and that means there's one more out there that he could have gotten with instead of Robin. And yeah. then in response to that, OP says, I knew she was kind of a shaky choice and might have considered Maggie over her, but I think Jeanette had the much more profound impact on Ted overall, which is followed up from Book Ant. I'd take Trudy over Jeanette. Another potential that he missed out on because he was obsessing over Robin, mm-hmm. which all those all those are good points. I I don't know. I, I do kind of see where OP's coming from with Jeanette, because even though they weren't really compatible at all and she was a complete psychopath, I feel like she did have a huge impact on Ted's life because of the craziness that he had to put up with while he was with her. You could have an impact on someone's life without being compatible. In fact, one might argue that you have more of an impact on someone's life if you aren't compatible because you might be a jerk to them and your life will be impacted and you won't be happy and you'll be sad. You might stay inside because you think everybody hates you because this one person was so mean to you, even though and and they were not compatible with you. Spencer, are you speaking from experience on this? (laughs) (laughs) I probably could come up with a few examples of people (laughs) who have had profound impacts on my life that are not compatible with me. So it just sounded that just sounded like a loaded response. So I had to ask. (laughs) It was just one of those times where I started a sentence and didn't know how I was going to end it. (laughs) Speaking of the office. So the last comment is from user mystery voice. They say, seeing the correlation, I would suggest reversing it. The number Love Solutions gave may not have literally been eight people, but while telling the story, he, meaning Ted, may have unintentionally or not swapped in the actual number of women he'd had serious relationships with afterward. I mean, he did know at the time of narration how many relationships he would end up having, and most of those he would have definitely expected to count as matches. It's possible he forgot the real number, but he remembered it was very low. And knowing he did have these eight relationships, he could have decided they were the matches. I personally really like this comment, and I think it makes the most sense out of everything else. To summarize, what they're saying is that, uh, I think it was, uh, eight because he had that many relationships. Is is that what they're saying? He had that many serious relationships that he could remember. Yes. Okay. So he just substituted the number. Yeah. So I do think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I can't find any fault with that. What do you guys think after hearing all the comments? That last comment, I, I don't know what that does to the theory, then I guess. I, I guess it means that the theory doesn't exist anymore because the whole reason why it's intriguing is that the algorithm was correct. And if he's just giving it some 
arbitrary number that happens to match up with the meaningful relationships that he could remember, then it doesn't matter. Then that means the algorithm didn't do its job. Yeah. Well, whether it does not, whether it did or not, we don't know. We have no idea. Oof. If he doesn't even remember the original number. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not what the original poster is saying. So I'm not using that as a strike against the original theory. I'm saying that what this mystery voice is saying, I mean, it's interesting observation. If that is actually the case, then we need to just throw away the words that we have typed on this page. (laughs) Okay. I think I am ready to rate this. Yeah, go ahead. You can start us off. Okay. I'm going to say that this theory is plausible based on what I said earlier of the writers of the show did such a good job with the consistency and their show Bible was regularly updated so that they had every bit of information that they could call back to at any Mm -hmm. point in time. And so I think if, if they were this precise... All the way back at Matchmaker, they planned it out. I mean, I think they had the entire series planned out of all of these women that he was going to date. And I'll say it's a plausible theory. Cool. Spencer. Before I give my rating, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Was this ever made a big deal later on? Like, were they ever like, oh, I can't believe it. They said there are going to be eight relationships. And here, years later, there actually were eight relationships. How amazing is that? Like, was there ever a big deal made about it? No. At one point in a later season, they do revisit the whole love solutions thing at one point. But there's not a thing where they are talking about the like how many people he was matched with. It's more of who's the next one that I'm compatible with. So do you think this is the kind of detail that is is rewarding to fans and viewers of the show to go, kind of go along with what Laura was saying? If the writers were that meticulous and planned so far ahead... Would it have been something they should be proud of and draw more attention to? Or is it something that's rewarding for fans of the show that watch it over and over? I think the the beauty of being so concise and so good at maintaining that continuity is not having to point it out all the time and having this fan base that finds these little Easter eggs and things that call back to previous moments and connect everything. So I don't think they necessarily had to really blatantly say, oh, We said in the beginning that that was going to be eight women. So here were the eight women. I don't think that it has to be really said. I think it's more of like a fun thing for fans to notice. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, then in that case, I will say this is plausible based on everything that I've heard and your observations. And I think that this could possibly be true. Cool. So I, I've kind of been all over the place in my thought process with this since I started reading it. And up until this point, I bounced around to different ratings. And I think the one that I'm going to land on is also plausible. After reading that last comment, I kind of was leaning a little more towards unlikely. But Mm -hmm. you guys kind of brought me back into the plausible range. So I feel like that's where I'm going to land. Great. Sweet. We're usually pretty good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Enough about canned laughter. Who's ready to talk about the multiverse? Ooh, I am. Oh, me. Me, me. Oh, you mean just theorizing how the DC Extended Universe is going to use the Flash movie to introduce the concept of the multiverse to hopefully erase some of the franchise's missteps? No, I'm not talking about DC. I'm talking about Peter. Oh, so you must mean what we see in Spider-Man No Way Home, like Doctor Strange and Loki and all that? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Marvel. You know better than that. No, not Peter Parker, Peter Griffin. 
Family Guy? There's a multiverse in Family Guy? The next theorizer thinks so. So let's take a quick break and we'll discuss it when we come back. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by California Almonds. Almonds are a great addition to any wellness routine. They're the perfect on-the-go snack, and only a handful of almonds is all you need to get the benefits. Like 50% of your recommended daily value of vitamin E, a powerful antioxidant that helps protect and keep your skin healthy. So no matter what wellness looks like to you, yoga, massages, listening to your favorite podcast, almonds are easy to bring along. Eat almonds, live well, repeat. Hey Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. All right, let's talk about something that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> so this theory is about the show called Family Guy, created by Seth MacFarlane, that has been running for far too long, some might argue, um, that I stopped watching. About... I think I'd say that more about The Simpsons. Yeah. No, The Simpsons is still good. <laughs> Family Guy, I stopped watching maybe about the sixth or seventh season. This theory is called the Peter Multiverse Hive Mind. And the theory writer, his name is... Faze poopy <laughs> or phase poopy, depending on how fancy you want to be. So they write in Family Guy, Peter constantly references events happening to him that simply couldn't have happened in any stretch of continuity. So logically, Peter must be a hive mind connected to all other Peters across the multiverse, living their lives as well as his own, experiencing what they experience as his. The multiverse and Peter's consciousness of it could also explain why Family Guy generally hasn't changed setting or people-wise, as each episode could be a different Griffin family. This is even suggested when one Peter says great-great-great-uncle invented golf, but then another Peter says that they traced their family roots to Asia. Peter has also had several different dads. <laughs> On top of that, Peter's knowledge of the multiverse could explain why he can break the fourth wall, as he knows our universe exists. And he's a character in it. So that is the theory. Before we get into some comments, I believe all of us have watched at least a little bit of Family Guy, correct? Yes. Yes. I would say, I I mean, I don't, I don't know about Lara, but I've probably watched the most out of all of us if you stopped at season six and seven, Spencer. Okay. I've just watched some with Spencer. Okay. I stuck around for a little bit longer than you did. Okay. So before we get into the comments, I just want to talk about the history of the Griffin family. Not going to be boring, <laughs> but this is going to be fun. We're going to look up a list of Peter Griffin's ancestors that he discusses in his cutaways. 
that are really funny. And I'm not going to name them all, but some of them, the most notable ones are Moses Griffin. And then we have King Arthur Griffin, Ponce de Legon Griffin, which is the one that discovers the Fountain of Youth and he walks around in and he comes out and his body is tiny, but his head is big. And so it flops over on the ground and it's really funny. <laughs> Nathaniel Nate Griffin. That's when Peter discovers that his ancestor was black and a slave, apparently. Oh. And then we have yes. shortly after that, we have Ulysses S. Griffin, which uh, would be very close to each other, apparently. Then we have Jabba the Griffin, Ella Fitzgerald Griffin, Juarez <laughs> Griffin, Peter Hitler, Rufus Griffin, King of Denmark Griffin, and finally John Wilkes Booth, John Wilkes Photo Booth Griffin. <laughs> so as you can see, Peter has lots of ancestors. Some would in theory overlap each other when it comes to time periods of existence. How do you explain that? Well, this theorizer might say because there is a multiverse and Peter is a hive mind. Why, why, why can't he be talking about maternal and paternal? Yeah, Because they're all griffins, mostly. Okay, well, what if... I mean, I think you could still have, like, the branches of the family tree all coexisting at the same time. <sighs> Just real quick, uh, to make a reference, because it was fun. Um, another thing that I looked up was Peter's notable dads. And, of course, he had his main one that we could, that we first meet, Francis, mm -hmm. which is... Play a voice by the guy that's Papi O'Daniel yep. in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which we just watched. <laughs> and he's perfect for that role and very enjoyable. And then also he discovers in the episode, Peter's Two Dads, that his biological father is an Irishman named Mickey McFennigan, which is based on the friends of McFarlane's father. <laughs> anyway, so before I get to your thoughts, everybody. Mm-hmm. I want to add a little bit onto this from a comment that someone left because I think this helps develop it a little bit further. Okay. So this is from Mike B. Nimble. I like this and want to expand on it. The Stewie proposition. Peter's ability to perceive the multiverse hive mind is a recessive genetic trait that is also found in Stewie, but not Meg or Chris. Peter is a drunk because he's it is coping mechanism for his hive mind perception, whereas Stewie managed to harness it for genius level intellect. So the reason Stewie has all the knowledge and tech that he does is because all the Stewies and all the multiverses share a collective mental capacity, which also gives him the knowledge that time travel will absolutely work. Okay. So that's another layer there that I didn't initially think about because usually when when there are those cutaways and that kind of thing, it's usually Peter, but this is a good good point that Stewie does that sometimes. Yeah. And so that's a good explanation for that at this point. Mm -hmm. At this point, without going any further, yeah. do you guys have any thoughts? You want to share what you're thinking? I like the idea of there being this hive mind yeah. for Peter. I think it would explain inconsistencies in his intellect at times of... Maybe there were points when the hive mind was harder to tap into because of some kind of interference and he wasn't able to access the other Peter who was smarter. That's why he <laughs> couldn't say the color red for the red fire trucks, red fire trucks. What color are those red fire trucks? That's right, Peter. Shh, shh, Lois, don't push me. But then sometimes he's a lot smarter than that. I just, or a lot more um, dignified and classy. And then sometimes he's just. I don't know, a, a total slob. So I, I think that that's a great way to explain it. I may be an idiot, but there's one thing I am not, sir, and that is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I think oh, or for this, me... this is another good one. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off, Michael, okay. for one more. 
Brian, there's a message in my alphabet cereal. It says, ooh, Peter, those are Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. This is the, one of those instances where I don't necessarily need an explanation. Like, I just accept Family Guy for what it is. I never expected anything to be, like, super connected and, and stuff with all this. I mean, the, the theory makes sense. But yeah, I just never, I never needed an explanation. I guess is what I'm trying to say for all of the inconsistencies. Isn't there a lot of back and forth outside of the Griffin household um, with Cleveland and Loretta? There's a lot of back and forth of we're together. Oh, she's gone again. And we're back together. No, once she's gone, she's gone for the most part. Yeah. Oh, I thought they went back and forth. No, Quagmire. Mm. Oh, no. Uh, Quagmire is the reason why they broke up for the, from the beginning to begin with. Oh, Quagmire. He ruins everything. But anyway, Laura, you said this was a reasonable explanation for inconsistencies. How about an explanation from a butthole? <laughs> That's the name of this person that left a comment. <laughs> they said, it's not the person's name. It is their It is their handle. name. It's their I mean, username. it might be their name. We don't know. It's their might username. <laughs> I hope it's not. <laughs> this person says, Family Guy is canonically a show within a show. Peter's able to break the fourth wall because in the world of Family Guy, he's an actor who plays a fictionalized version of himself. Same is true for any inconsistencies. Krista Todd responds, It says, There is an episode, which is the director's cut commentary with them, and also there is an episode where they reveal it's a TV show and Peter has a tantrum and gets fired and they replace him with David Spade at the end. <laughs> it's revealed he has those tantrums every week, resulting in being fired. So I didn't know that. That it was about a show within a show. And then one more comment to add on to that. Batman 903 says the occasional opening credits gags confirmed this. For example, one episode has a hilarious deviation from the song where while the characters are doing their normal dance with Rockette looking dancers, Peter falls down the stairs and crushes one of the dancers. Then Stewie talks to the camera and is telling the cameraman to cut. So how are the I'm not understanding how the fact that it's a show within a show can explain the inconsistencies. Are they, are they just saying like that? It would be like being on a TV show where, I mean, having just come off of how I met your mother, and we know they were so good about not having those inconsistencies so much. Mm -hmm. Although I've seen that there are a couple, but they're very minor. Yeah, I, I mean, but I, I, I'm not. Or that's what the, is that what they're saying that like the writers just screwed up and there was an inconsistency for this episode or oh, maybe not maybe intentional for whatever reason they're just saying that it's a show and they write it peter is an actor in his show and so i mean i, I guess come up come to think about what would be a good uh, home improvement maybe or chris rock show or whatever but everybody hates chris where they're like shows about the actor based on their life but they make up stuff i don't know maybe that's what they're trying to say my point is, I don't think that these explanations are mutually exclusive, because what if in one universe, it is a TV show? Yeah. That's true. Yep. And Peter is a character in that TV show. Yeah, that's fair. So I don't think that cancels out mm -hmm. the original theory. Oh, good point, Spencer. Very good point. Thank you. I don't have those very often, but I'm proud of them whenever I do. I don't know good. if I have anything else to say. Uh, are you guys tapped out on your commentary? or? Yeah, I'm ready to rate. Okay. Spencer? I just want to sit here and sing Bird is the Word for the next five minutes. <laughs> no. Please, no. No, 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 we'll no, mute no, your no. mic. Oh, well, give me your yeah. rating. Rating right now. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. 
I I like this. This is this is my new canon. This is genius. Yep. I agree. This is genius for me. I I know that I I said I don't need uh, an explanation for all this stuff, but honestly, I like this explanation a lot and I want this to be the new canon. So, yeah, genius for me too. Guys, I'm going to give it the same rating. Awesome. Yay! You gave me enough confidence to come out and say that I think this is genius. I think it is. <laughs> I I would rather believe this than it's a show within a show. Agreed. And I think that that's fun. And if someone wants to believe that, fine. They can have their little universe over there. Because I can have my rest of the Peter verse over here with me and enjoy all the funny little things that happen and know <laughs> that it's not inconsistent. It's not inconsistent. It's simply because there is a multiverse and Peter is a hive mind connected to all other Peters across the multiverse. I like it. Yeah. Because, I mean, that kind of explains for me, can help me. Not like I need to justify it, but, you know, there was an right. episode early on, season one or two, when they were it was all post-apocalyptic and they were having to travel across and across the world. They were looking for Twinkies and that's when mm. they went, found Randy Newman. <laughs> and <laughs> There's Randy Newman singing about what he sees. <laughs> Red-headed lady reaching for an apple. She gonna take a bite. Uh, nope, nope. <laughs> she gonna breathe on it first. Wipe, Wipe it, it on her blouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then Stewie tur- like gets into the nuclear waste and he grows tentacles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 there's and the episode all- where they get all get superpowers. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then and, it's all gone uh, by the next one. And so I think this is a great way to explain right. that. Of like, okay, yeah. and that's happening in another universe. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's the episode where they do mm-hmm. um, little vignettes of Stephen King novels, you know? Each one could be a different universe. Yes. Yeah. Of course, and then they've got the Star Wars episodes. Uh-huh. So uh, it's a different universe yeah. uh-huh. where Luke Skywalker is played by Chris Griffin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. <laughs> cool. I'm glad we're all in agreement. Yes. Um, Laura? Spencer? Michael? Guys? After that riveting discussion, it is unfortunately time to bring this episode to a close. But before we do and pull the plug on this, I want to share this, this really intriguing thing that I found on Reddit when I was browsing the other day. And um, this eagle-eyed movie fan acceptable acceptable plate spotted this really clever instance of foreshadowing in the movie Taken starring Liam Neeson and Shannon from Lost. So they point out that in Taken, after his daughter got kidnapped by criminals, Liam Neeson's character says to them, I will find you and I will kill you, which brilliantly foreshadows the ending where he finds them and kills them. <laughs> it's, oh my I, gosh! Uh, I mean, they're not wrong. Spencer. <laughs> oh man! Foreshadowing. I need to watch that, that movie again. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> it, it foreshadowed what happened. I need to watch it again and see if I catch it on my second viewing because I missed it the first time. Okay. Well, on that note, this has been Fan Theory Queries, and I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. Join us next time as we analyze more fan theories and ask queries such as, 
did Genie create a horrifying kingdom when Aladdin wished to be prince? We'll discuss that and other fascinating fan theories on next week's episode. Thank you.